Well, if I can get everyone's attention again, we will be continuing in our service as we transition to reading God's Word. And to read God's Word for us today, I'd like to invite up Annabeth to do that. Our scripture today is from Acts 11, 1 to 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who are throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Annabeth. Some of you guys have noticed I got a haircut. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my wife always says, you know, Before you go up, be presentable, so I got a haircut. (laughs) Now, there's something special about going to a barbershop, or at least a barbershop that I like to go to. Here, people from different backgrounds uh, all converge in one place. People who have white-collar jobs, people who have blue-collar jobs, people who may be unemployed, people who are new to the country, kids, people who are retired, they all come together in this barbershop, all for one simple thing, to get a haircut. Now, as I was getting my haircut, I asked my barber about his favorite part uh, of his job. So he was telling me his favorite part, aside from, you know, the necessity of making money, is the culture that he sees inside of the shop, as he gets to build relationships with his clients. Because regardless, of what they look like, where they're from, or what they do. Once they sit in that barber chair, 
they become just another person who needs a haircut, and they're all treated the same by him. But the reality outside of a barbershop is one of categorization into a bunch of different kinds of social classes, beliefs, values, lifestyles. Maybe today you're someone who you find yourself being in the corporate world. Or maybe you're someone who runs your own small business. Or you're currently looking for employment right now. Maybe you're not necessarily too religious. Or for others, you come from a very strong tradition of religion in your family. Maybe you identify with the LGBTQ2 community. Or you have close friends or family members who do. These kinds of things group certain people together, while at the same time, it ends up separating others into groups. And depending on how you categorize yourself, there may be inherent prejudices and biases that may stop you from interacting with those who seem different. Now, for you who are Christ followers, sitting here and listening today, have you erected any walls between yourself and others who you think would never be able to understand why you believe in Jesus? Maybe you've done this from previous experiences of hostility that was done to you, or for seeing the current cultural context of hostility toward Christians. And so these walls have come up to become safety measures to protect yourself. Whatever these reasons may be, the walls that you may end up obstruct, the, the walls that may end up in your life may obstruct the way of the gospel to reach the ears of those who don't yet know Jesus. And that's the problem for us today, and that's the problem that was for the Jewish believers back then. Specifically, from our text, we learn two things from Peter's report, uh, Peter's response in his report. Firstly, we learn about prejudice that obstructs. And secondly, we learn about grace that extends. So firstly, prejudice that obstructs. To understand the current prejudice that we see here, we need to know a little bit more about this circumcision group. Now they were likely the Jewish Christian community who identified themselves as the covenant children of Abraham. This idea of being a covenant child of Abraham, it comes from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 17, where God makes his covenant with Abraham. And he says in this covenant that every male should be circumcised as a sign of the covenant between God and his people. Now Peter was one of the leaders of the circumcision group. But they had recently heard that he had socialized and he had eaten with the Gentiles, this non-Jewish people group. And they had a problem with that and they confront him. Now the reason they focus on the aspect of eating, it traces back to uh, Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus being one of Moses' five books that outlines the laws about what is clean and what is unclean. Particularly in chapter 11, it talks about clean and unclean foods. Clean food being fish, uh, fish with scales and fins or sheep. 
and unclean food being pigs and lobsters and so on and so forth. Now, God, in his infinite wisdom, had deemed some food to be unclean and others to be clean. His reason, he says, for I am the Lord, your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. So the circumcision group that we see in our passage today, it represents God's people trying to be holy and set apart from the rest of the surrounding Gentiles that they were living among. But here's the thing, God had never said, do not eat with Gentiles, compared to do not eat unclean food. He never called Gentiles to be unclean. This this issue that the circumcision group had with Peter was a similar issue that the Pharisees had back in the book of Luke, when they criticized Jesus for eating with sinners. Somewhere along the line, there was this human addition that was made to the original written law, forbidding table fellowship with Gentiles. Because if you eat with Gentiles who, eat, who happen to eat unclean food, then that would make a Jewish believer unclean. So prejudice toward the Gentiles became this almost natural byproduct of this circumcision group. But it still doesn't justify the prejudice that categorized Gentiles as these untouchables in the eyes of the Jewish believers. Now, implications for us today. First, for you who are believers, how might you categorize people when it comes to sharing the faith? Are there people who are atheists around you, and they seem hostile, and they seem defensive, because you believe in a God that they don't believe in? Are there others around you who have different religions, maybe Muslims or Hindus, and they seem unapproachable because their set set beliefs are so different from your own Christian faith? Yet again, are there others around you who are in the LGBTQ2 plus community? And you don't know where to start the conversation with them without getting into the sensitive topic of gender. And you have to be very careful with your language so as to not offend them. Yet again, perhaps there are others in your group of differing social, socioeconomic classes. For some, the corporate, the elite, they, they seem intimidating and arrogant because they are higher up in their education or status. And yet for others, the working class may seem tougher and harder to approach because of the difference in education and wealth. Or lastly, and this is not an extensive list, but just to get you thinking, are there others who you categorize in your life when it comes to sharing the faith that you hesitate with, like immediate family members? Because they know you too well, don't they? Family members know you way too well. And sometimes they may seem to have too much pride or you may seem to have too much pride to be able to share or receive any kind of advice, especially when it comes to matters of faith. By your prejudice, what you've done is you may have already written off such groups of people as not being able to be saved. You've effectively closed the doors for the gospel to even reach their ears. Why? Because you might think that you already know what the outcome's gonna be. 
they're not going to be interested in listening to anything that you have to say. Well, this is what the circumcision group did to the Gentiles. The Gentiles weren't even considered as potential members of God's covenant family because there was no point. They were eating unclean foods. They had different lifestyles. They just seemed unapproachable. They wouldn't understand what it means to worship a holy God. But we see in Matthew 11 that Jesus did otherwise. He was always in the middle of such Gentile crowds. He'd be hanging out with them. He'd be ministering to them. And by doing so, Jesus had the label of being a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now the purpose of our text, of our sermon today, it isn't to guilt trip you and say, look, what a horrible person you are. But it's to bring to your attention the current prejudices that you may have in your life that's obstructing the way of the gospel from reaching the non-believers around you. That's what God was unveiling to Peter about the state of his heart. And if you're joining us today as someone who's currently seeking or you're currently exploring the faith, this is a message for you to hear as well. Because our passage shows us that there is a God who cares about those on the outside and he is paving a way for them to clearly hear the message about his son. He's not passive, but he's actively breaking down the walls of prejudice to make sure that the good news of Jesus Christ reaches your ears by the power of his spirit. He is a God who is calling you today to enter into a relationship with him. So let's look now at Peter's response to the criticism that he receives from the circumcision party. Peter, he justifies his actions. He explains the entire sequence of, of, of events in logical order. He begins first by mentioning how he was praying before everything unfolded. He's being a good, devout Jewish believer, worthy of having the title as a leader of the group, as the leader of the Jewish believers, before the vision was revealed to him from God. Now, even when the vision uh, was being unfolded, he looked closely and he noticed that there were these animals coming down the great sheet that were unclean. And so when God commands him to rise, kill, and eat, he strongly refuses by saying, absolutely not, Lord. No way. Up to now, I've never had anything unclean even come remotely close to my lips. There is no way that I'm going to start doing that now. There's almost a subtle sense of of pride as he stands behind his clean track record as a faithful and obedient Jewish believer. But now see God's response to Peter. He says this, and this is very important. He says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean or do not call common. You see, God is doing something here and the scope of his work is much bigger than the circumcision's focus in trying to just keep to themselves. God hasn't forgotten about the Gentile community. In fact, he's already prepared them to be in the right place at the right time. 
for them to hear about Jesus Christ. And this was gonna come through the gospel message that Peter, a Jewish believer, would bring to the Gentiles as he enters into their household. God is making the way for grace to extend outside the walls of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and Peter, right now, has been given the front row seats to witness this tremendous scene unfold. And that brings us to our second point, grace that extends. Pastor and theologian John Stott observes four distinct moments in our passage where God specifically takes the initiative. Here are the four. Number one, God is the one who begins with the vision that he gives to Peter with this great sheet descending with all these unclean animals, and he tells Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And afterwards, he even declares that what he has made clean, do not call unclean. That's number one. Number two, God moves when the Spirit commands Peter afterwards to go and make no distinction. That's another way of saying, don't have prejudice toward the Gentiles and go to them because that is the will of God. Number three, God, God prepares the Gentiles in advance. God had appeared to Cornelius earlier in a vision and provided all the necessary instructions to prepare for Peter, to send for Peter and to get his household, his friends, his family together so that they can hear the gospel message. And then lastly, God moves again. The same gift of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, falls on the Gentiles as they accept Christ into their lives. In all these moments, God is the one doing all the work and drawing people closer to him. So then what is Peter doing? What's his job in all this? Well, it's as the Spirit commands him. Peter's role is to go and make no distinction. Peter's job is to drop all the prejudice that he has against the Gentile community and to go to the midst of them and to share the message of Jesus that will save Cornelius' household. Peter's role is to obey and go. Simple but profound. Obey and go. Implications for sharing the gospel today. Maybe you find yourself paralyzed from overthinking the situation that you're in. How can that person over there possibly understand my faith in Jesus if I were to bring it up to them? We don't even share the same values. We don't share the same lifestyles. We don't have anything in common. It feels like we're living in two completely different worlds. So where would I even begin? Well, to that, we see that God, from our text, God is the one who takes the first step to begin the process when he opens up that opportunity. And that opportunity may come up with you, with your coworker, who isn't religious, as you guys maybe decide to grab a bite after work ends. Or maybe it might come up with your LGBTQ2 plus neighbor. As you're both doing some chores, taking on the garbage, recycling, and then you run into each other and you start talking about how your day has been. Or perhaps an opportunity might come up over a family gathering during the holidays as you're catching up about life and sharing about what you've been up to these days. Yes, there are definitely risks when it comes to sharing the gospel 
when it comes to initiating conversations about your faith. There could be potential backlash that your thoughts, your views, your beliefs, they're not progressive enough. They're not politically correct. There could be hostile responses because people may have had bad experiences in the past where other Christians or churches may have stereotyped them, judged them, or hurt them. But isn't that momentary persecution you may experience, isn't that still a small price to pay in the grand scheme of eternity where souls are at stake? Also, persecution is another mark of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me first before it hated you because you are not from this world. There are definite risks in evangelism. But being obedient to God means this, that you are to climb over those walls that you have erected in your heart and take a good look at the people that the Holy Spirit may be convicting in your heart, that the Holy Spirit may be prompting you to go to. These are the people who still don't know the love of Jesus. In our text, Peter doesn't do anything other than obey. Obey the Spirit and follow some random men back to Cornelius' house to proclaim the gospel of life. The rest of the matter concerning conversion and salvation is taking care of none other than God himself. For us, most likely, we won't be given a clear, definitive roadmap. When the Spirit tugs at your heart with a conviction to go and talk to that person, engage in that individual, that is where it begins. But the act of going is already more than enough to be obedient. Because the next step, of what happens afterwards. Once I go there, what do I do? What do I say? That becomes a step of faith. And you leave it to God to help guide the outcome of that conversation or encounter. Yes, there are practical ways to bring up certain topics and to engage in these conversations, but that isn't the focus of today. That may be for another sermon or another seminar in the future about how to evangelize and effective ways to do so. But the point here is that whether the conversation goes well or maybe it gets shut down, you can have confidence in Romans 8 where it says that in all things, in all encounters, in all conversations, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So your work and my work, our work is not in vain. When we go and when we go and engage in these conversations with those who don't know Christ. As as Peter goes, now we see how God extends the gospel to the Gentiles. And the clearest sign of this is when the Spirit falls on them, sealing and confirming their repentance and salvation in Christ. Peter even recalls this moment to them by saying the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us at the beginning. You hear that? Just as it did on us. He's comparing this event at Cornelius' house with their own experience that they had in the upper room during the day of Pentecost. Meaning both the Jews and the Gentiles 
receive the same gift of the Holy Spirit. And if that truth and that fact doesn't break down these walls, I don't know what will. And the moment they hear that, they just, they just completely go quiet and they listen and they process and they start to see what God is doing. This moment could almost be viewed as the Gentiles version, the Gentile Pentecost in Caesarea, marking the new era of God, engaging the whole world outside of just the Jewish walls. The gospel is a message that's relevant for all people to hear. And so would you consider this question? Who in your life would, be, would you consider to have been the most unlikely person to respond to the gospel message? Who would that person be? I like to say that that person would be you. It'd be me. If God had not extended his grace past our stubborn and obstinate hearts, we would never have come to know and believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the Son of God, who entered into our world full of hate and discrimination. He didn't surround himself with like-minded people, with the, with the people of the same class. Rather, he broke down every single wall of social stereotype there was by engaging with the marginalized, the outcasts, the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, all people whom society shunned. Jesus embraced them all. In terms of cleanliness laws, Jesus taught that it's not what enters the person that makes them unclean from the outside, but it's what comes out of the heart that makes them unclean. If that's the case, then who among us can stand before a holy God who looks directly into the state of our hearts? Who could stand before him without guilt or shame? Yet God extends his grace to us, to unclean sinners like you and I, as he allowed his one and only son to become that filth of sin for us when he was killed on the cross so that in him we might become the spotless righteousness of God. We, who were once foreigners and outcasts, have been drawn near to the Father as beloved children in Christ. We who have received grace, we are now tasked to extend that same grace to the non-believers in our lives. So what that means is this. The next time you feel in your heart the Spirit tugging at you, leading you to go and engage someone about Christ, Remember your own story. Remember your own story of how the grace of God extended past your unbelieving heart to draw you near to him. And go, go, take that step. Take, take that step of faith and let the spirit move and work in that person's life as they hear the gospel message. Get the conversation going and see how God's work unfolds. Take initiative. 
be active. Be on the lookout for such opportunities to share the gospel with those around you. Ask God to help you be sensitive and obedient when he provides these moments. Pray for boldness. Pray for wisdom in such conversations. Pray for a heart of compassion and a sense of urgency for the lost. Intentionally build and invest into such relationships. Join a local recreation league some kind of fitness club, rock climbing, cycling, book club, take different kinds of classes that are offered throughout the city to build new relationships. Get to know your neighbors, invite them over for a meal or a coffee, or here's a shameless plug. Invite them to come check out Alpha, which is happening in a couple weeks on February the 6th. And this is a series uh, that will be a great place for, uh, for you to invite your non-believing neighbors, coworkers, Uh, for them to ask a lot of questions and be in a safe place to talk about matters concerning God. Now, if you're not a believer and you're listening, the next time a Christian initiates a conversation with you, maybe awkward, you'll sense some weirdness in the way they approach you. But give, give them a chance. Give them a chance and see what they have to say and how the time goes. See with your own eyes, hear with your own ears the gospel message that brings renewal and salvation to a person's life. Because behind all of that is a deeply loving God who has taken the initiative to draw you near through such encounters. So Grace Toronto, we're not here in the city simply to put our lives on cruise control and coast until the day that we meet Jesus. No, we have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus himself to actively go and share his gospel message to those who don't know him yet so that they can come to know and believe in his name and one day join us in glory when Christ returns. There is grace beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And that grace is continuing to reach the people here in our city today. And as believers, let us be obedient and let us do our part faithfully by witnessing that love of Christ to those who are both near and those who are far. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for being a God who loved us first by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our sins and grant us repentance that leads to everlasting life and fellowship with you. For those of us who don't know you yet, would you draw near to us and reveal the love of Christ that exceeds all other loves in this world that we could possibly hope for? And for those who are believers, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you may Empower us with the boldness, with the wisdom to be sensitive to your promptings and to go and to be faithful witnesses wherever you may lead us. Help us to do this for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think we have some time for some Q&A questions. Okay, two to three, okay, let us do this.
Could you please, okay, number one, could you please speak to if and how to have gospel conversations with family in relation to the Lunar New Year? <laughs> um, <laughs> I hear some suggestions next. Um, I'm not too sure uh, what exactly you're asking, if how to use Lunar New Year as a topic to engage in the gospel. I'm not sure, I can't think on the spot right now uh, to give you a clever way to do so, but um, if you are going to be having family gatherings or if you're meeting with friends, well, hey, that could be an opportunity for you to just catch up with people you haven't caught up with in a while, and if you talk about what you've been up to, you can start by saying, hey, I went to church today, and you know, um, there are a lot of different ways to bring up God in a conversation, but what I do wanna say is this, Um, Although I cannot go into different techniques or whatnot, conversation starters, know this, when there's a difference when you have a conversation, when you have a focus, uh, you have an intention behind where you want to go in that conversation, you'll notice it. People will say, hey, how you been? And there's there's a clear intention behind what they want to talk about. Have that intention of loving them by sharing them about Christ. If that means, hey, you know, um, if you know they haven't been to church in a while, invite them out to church. If you know that uh, conversations about um, some, some deep things that they're going through uh, calls for another meeting, say, hey, let's set up another time where we can just connect. I know you're going through some stuff and I'd love to be there for you. Make that opportunity if you can. Maybe, maybe Lunar New Year may be an opportunity that God's providing to come in contact with someone. But from there, take the next step and try to engage in another way to continue that conversation so that you can talk about uh, the gospel message. It's a great question. Tough one. Okay. Um, there are a couple questions about um, evangelism uh, resources uh, to help introduce to help you introduce a conversation about Christianity with a non-believer. I'll have to put that question on hold and uh, be on the lookout for if we are to do a a seminar or some kind of series about evangelism. Uh, Nothing is set in stone, but that is definitely not the first time that this question has come up. So this will be noted and um, yeah, we will talk about this. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. Uh, Nextly. Uh, this is, okay, in the Jewish perspective, and this is the last question, in the Jewish perspective, what is the meaning of unclean in the Old Testament? For example, God refers to Jews as being unclean. What's the difference between an unclean Jew and an unclean Gentile? Uh, In the context of our text here, unclean is referring to unclean foods uh, versus clean food. Um, But what it means to be unclean and clean, if you read the book of Leviticus, um, it actually goes into quite some detail and quite some length as to what is determined clean, what is determined unclean. And you will be considered an unclean Jew if you do something uh, which defiles you by touching something unclean or partaking in an unclean event or eating something unclean. So that would be what causes you to be clean or unclean. What was the point of having unclean and unclean laws? Uh, Particularly, for example, why was lobster unclean and pigs unclean? 
I don't know why God distinguished it specifically in that way. People, scholars have different theories or ideas in terms of maybe health benefits and whatnot back in the day, um, you know, all those kind of things. But at the end of the day, what we do know is the response God gives, which is, I am the Lord your God, and you are to consecrate yourself, set yourselves apart, be holy as I am holy. Those were the conditions cleanliness laws that God particularly gave to his people so that they can be set apart as his people from the surrounding nations who acted and lived in a very different way um, that didn't reflect what it means to worship a holy God, what it, what, uh, in a way that didn't reflect what it means to live with integrity and with morality and so on and so forth. So um, that's just a very broad stroke that I can give for what it means to be clean and unclean. Um, with that said, I do want to invite uh, the worship team back up. And as they're coming up, um, I do want to encourage you just to take a moment to close your eyes and reflect and think about what we have just talked about in terms of reaching the non-believers, the unbelievers in your life. Think about someone that may come to your mind right now as you close your eyes. And ask the Lord, would you provide an opportunity for me to be able to go and engage with them? Would you provide an opportunity for me? Would you give me the creativity? Would you help me uh, with wisdom and the boldness to be able to reach out to them and to engage in a gospel conversation with them this upcoming week? Father, we ask that you, as our sovereign God, may provide such opportunities for us, those who are believers, to be able to realize the urgency of Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations, to share the gospel news that this is not just an option, but it is a command. It is what it means to be a follower of you. Help us to realize that urgency. And would you, as you provide such opportunities, give us the ability, empower us through the Spirit to be able to go out to these people and love them with the love of Christ. And for those who don't know you, Lord, we pray that you may reveal the love of Jesus to us. And all these things, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you please rise for the song of reflection?